0: This is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of F.E. Church, and this is our podcast. Well, welcome to Holy Ground number four to those of you in the room and to those of you still watching at home. We are so glad that we get to connect in this way. And so we're going to launch right into Holy Ground number four. It has been an awesome month just really digging into this one conversation between God and Moses. Now, most of you should know this story, even if you haven't been joining us the past couple of weeks. This is the burning bush story, right? That, that very, uh, culturally known story that even if you haven't grown up in church, you probably know something of Moses, right? The parting of the Red Sea and the burning bush and the plagues in Egypt and all of that. And so we've been really looking deeply into this conversation. This conversation where God said to Moses, take off your sandals, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. And it just struck me all over again as I was studying this. How many things change on holy ground? I said, God, how? Right? I I know you're the God of the universe, that you can change whatever you want, whenever you want. And of course, a conversation with you would be life-changing. But I really wanted to study how that happened. How did God change so many things for Moses in this one conversation? As we've gone over the past couple weeks, he took this guy who was on the run, a very scared, people-pleasing kind of guy, and changed that man into a world changer. And it all began with this conversation. Now, one way that I I noticed as I was studying this, that God accomplished this, was God asked Questions of Moses. Which always kind of strikes me as odd because does the God who knows everything have to ask questions? Would he ever have to ask a question? Really? He does not know, not know the answers, right? Is there ever a question he can ask that he wouldn't already know the answer to? So why would he ask a question? Is it because he needs to know the answer or because we do? He brings us two answers so perfectly. And today we're going to focus on one of those questions. One of those questions that God asks Moses. Now, we're going to go back in the story just a little bit. As you know, if you've been with us the past few weeks, we have been studying this story piece by piece. And we're going to go back into the burning bush conversation. Uh, and I, I first have to go way back because I, I want you to see just how little faith... Moses has at the beginning of all this. Now, we all remember the big moments, right? The the ten plagues in front of Pharaoh and the parting of the Red Sea and and everything that came after that. Moses spent time with God up on on the mountain and and his face shone and he led the people of Israel. I mean, he did amazing, big things. But here we see just how little faith he actually starts out with. Exodus 3.18 going back just a little bit, where we see God specifically say, the elders of Israel will listen to you. God said this, right? The God of the, uni- let me just r- remind you of the context here. There is a bush that is not stopping burning. <laughs> it continues to burn miraculously supernaturally, right? He's standing in front of this. God says, take off your sandals, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. I mean, the heavens open. And and I cannot stress the supernatural element of this moment. He's standing in front of a talking bush, y'all, right? Moses should be pretty open to whatever that voice is suggesting to him at this moment. I would think. God says the elders of Israel will listen to you. And yet, just a few moments later, seconds maybe, later, Exodus 4.1, Moses answers God. What if they do not believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord did not appear to you? Can anybody else relate to this a little bit? I mean, we can look back at it and say, uh, duh. God just told you they're going to listen, but I've done this, (laughs) right? I've done this a time or two. God said something very specifically to me, and I said, but what if it doesn't? God, what if? What if that doesn't happen, right? They will listen to you, but what if they don't? (laughs) I've done this too, God says something like, I don't know, you're gonna start a ministry, you're gonna, you're gonna start a business. And I say, Oh, but what if it doesn't? Cause it's probably something you've been wanting for a while or praying about for a while. And God answers that prayer. And yet we still, it's, it's terrifying, right? We still have doubts. We still question, but does God smite him right then and there? Does he allow the burning bush to overtake him? Does he say, okay, I got to scrap this plan and go with somebody else because obviously this is not my guy. No. He doesn't react in anger. I mean, I think I might if I were God in this moment. I I flip out sometimes when my kids ask me the same question over and over again. (laughs) Right? I'm the only parent, apparently. Like, I just said that. How many times? this is essentially what Moses is doing here, but what if, but what if, but God doesn't flip out like a impatient mama, no, he doesn't flip out, in fact, he doesn't even really answer him again, right, what's in your hand, Moses, is the next thing he says, verse 2, then the Lord says to him, what is that in your hand? Anybody else get a little frustrated when somebody answers my question with a question? And yet here God is answering a question with a question. And really, it's less of a question and more of a demonstration. We actually see Jesus doing this all throughout the Gospels, right? He is, somebody brings him a question and he answers it with a question. And then a story that seemingly has nothing to do with the question, but eventually it dawns on us the point, Right? It's called redirection. He does this constantly throughout the gospel. So of course God is going to do it too. Sometimes the truth is, is, I I used to say this in, in that wonder series we did last Christmas, I think. But the truth isn't just lying around on the surface for us to find. The truth is much deeper than that. If we just stumbled across it, we wouldn't believe it. If somebody just spoon fed it to us, we wouldn't believe it. Sometimes we have to dig a little, do the work, to get to the truth. And God certainly seems to model this throughout Scripture. Because I think, the thing is, if God had just said, because they will, or because I said so, (laughs) like we so often do as parents, right? Right? He said, they will listen. Moses said, but what if they don't? And if God had come back with a, because I said they will, would Moses have believed any more than he did a second ago? Would it have really helped the situation? Some of us do this. We're doing it right now, maybe. We're asking God a question right now, and we feel like God just isn't answering. Why, why wouldn't God answer me? I thought when I pray, God was supposed to answer. Why wouldn't God answer me? And maybe it's because either, A, He's already answered us, and we still don't believe it, or B, we don't yet have the faith to believe the answer when we hear it, and God knows that about us, so why would he answer? It would be counterproductive for God to answer your question right now in the way that you're asking it, and God does not do counterproductive things. God is a productive God. When he does something, he's doing something. When he doesn't do something, he's doing something. He's a productive God, and he's created us to be productive in his image. That is who we are, because that is who he is. And so, instead of counterproductively asking, answering what you've asked, he leads you patiently. He guides you through a series of demonstrations that will answer your question in the way that you can hear it. Sometimes we have to dig a little for the truth. And in this case, he said, what is in your hand, Moses? What's in your hand? You've got to imagine Moses' confusion in this instance, right? Like I'm talking about Egypt and I'm talking about the Israel. Like, elders, I'm talking about something else. What do you mean, why are you, Why would you ask this? What's in my hand? A staff. A staff, he replied. I just love the patience of God. <laughs> Instead of flipping out, God demonstrates his love. As Jason said earlier, God is love. You cannot separate God from love. He is it. He is love. He is patient. He is kind he is so graceful abounding in love this is something about God's character that we often get wrong we think God is angry at me God is disappointed he's the guy in the sky wagging his tail at me he's he's a big meanie with a magnifying glass just torturing me up there it's not who God is God is love he's abounding in love cannot separate him from it. That's not to say that God doesn't get angry. As we learned last week, there comes an end to the evil. He is not endlessly graceful. He is sufficiently graceful. Right? There comes an end to it. He will stop the evil, but he is slow to get there. So instead of yelling at Moses or smiting him right then and there, he asks him, what is in your hand? what's in your hand? And I love this. I fell in love with this all over again this week because it's just so God to ask the most appropriate question, but it seems the most inappropriate question. Like what does that have to do with anything that I'm talking about right now? And yet it's exactly what Moses needed to hear because God can use what is already in your hand. What's already in your hand to accomplish his purposes. I'm not sure if you heard me this morning, right? Are you listening? Already in your hand. Already in your hand. Not the next biggest technology thing. Not, not I have to wait until I get more education or more experience. He can use what is already in your hand. We love to talk about the parting of the Red Sea and the, the plagues in Egypt and the big stuff that Moses did, but maybe we missed the fact that God used a shepherd's staff. A stick, y'all. Can I just stress the, the insignificance of this moment, and yet it was so significant that it changed the world. God chose the most unassuming thing in that moment. Right? He, he didn't use the burning bush, the supernatural thing in front of him. He used the stick in Moses' hand as a sign. A stick. An everyday tool in the hands of a shepherd. Now, we often think we need that next biggest thing, but God comes back with a simple, what's already in your hand? If you ask me, it's this moment. This moment that changed the world. You know, not the, not the in front of Pharaoh, the public moments, not the plagues, not the, the parting of the Red Sea, not the going up on the mountain later. This moment. The stick. All alone. Out in the desert. No public fanfare. No crowd. This moment. It's the private moments with God that change us the most. It's the private moments with God that enable the public moments. Right, We couldn't have the public ones without these. It's like Tim Bennett said a couple of weeks ago. Right? It's the preparation that comes before the promise. And you are responsible for that preparation. Those big moments are a result of the little ones. The private ones. The ways in which God proves himself to you that you couldn't explain. Nobody else was there to see it. Maybe they wouldn't believe you even if you did. But you know. God has proven himself to you. And if you really look around, you'll see that you have all that you need right now to get the job done that God has called you to do. Maybe not all the things that you want. Moses wanted confidence in speaking. (laughs) Actually, I think he really just wanted somebody else to do it, not him. But he had all that he needed. Not all that he wanted, all that he needed, to get the job done. God's called you to use what is already in your hand. What's in your hand. Maybe for some of you it's a, it's a big house. That's what you got right now. A good house for entertaining. It's ready and, and waiting for a home group to come into it. Right? Just waiting for people to congregate to, to be discipled. Maybe there's a teaching gift in your hand that you haven't yet used for the kingdom of God. Leading a a home group, a Bible study, a growth group, something. Teaching someone about Jesus. Maybe there's just a a backyard pool you can invite neighbors to. Talk to them about church. Maybe there's there's a, a bonus from your job or some extra cash in your hand right now that you can used to bless others with, to sponsor some medical debt uh, here at church, to to sponsor a week of boxes of hope, to buy groceries for your neighbors, you know, are are struggling. What's in your hand? Maybe it's just your winning personality. I'm not joking, (laughs) right? Maybe you're good with people. That's what's in your hand right now. You don't have the big house or the pool or the extra cash or whatever, but you're good with people, Use that to serve God. Of course you can, right? There's people coming in there every single week for the very first time that little skeptical about us crazy people in here. I think church is all a bunch of judgmental jerks, right? And you can be the one that proves them wrong. That proves that there's good people in here, that we could be friends, right? Maybe it's just your wedding personality, but God can use any of these things. What's in Your hand. In my case, uh, and I'm just going to be real honest today, bury each other. Can I get an amen? Okay. In my case, I discounted myself for ministry in so many ways. I was always saying, God, that's not for me. I, I can't. They won't listen. I heard that same complaint, that same doubt, that same question that Moses is expressing here. I heard it come out of my mouth so many times to God. To God, I'm a woman, first of all. Not many preachers out there that are women, right? You can probably name all the ones you know on one hand. Sure, there's plenty of women in ministry, kids' ministry and women's ministry. That's where they like to keep them. Not preaching every week, very often. God, what if they don't listen? What if they don't listen? I'm young as well. I can give you all the reasons I'm unqualified to do what I'm doing. I'm a woman. I'm young. How am I going to teach those with more life experience than me? Uh, I'm 33, by the way, the age Jesus was in ministry. Just FYI. But what if what if they don't listen? I'm young, what? God, what if they don't listen? I don't have the education levels most lead pastors have. Pastors are expected, by the way, to not only be biblical scholars, but social media experts and building maintenance and be savvy with business and all the things, right? Counselors, trained professional counselors a lot of times too. God, I'm not. So what if they don't listen? And when it came to evangelism, I, I always counted myself out all throughout life. I mean, I felt like I don't speak the same language as non-Christians. Like, I've, I've been a Jesus follower my entire life. Never been drunk. I've never been high. Didn't have those college crazy years sleeping around or whatever. I, what, what if I can't relate? I, I don't speak the language. What if they just call me what they've been calling me my whole life? A to 2 shoes and uppity and whatever. Whatever. Well, I don't speak the same language. What if they don't listen? Why would they listen? God, I've said all of these things to God. I'm sure you have your excuses, too. We'll call them that. Doubts, excuses, reasons you can't do it. The Bible plan we're starting this week is called unqualified. We all feel unqualified, but to me, God had an answer to every one of my doubts. When I said, "I'm a woman," he said, "I will pour out my spirit on all people." All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Right? Joel 2:28 and I saw example after example in the word Huldah and Deborah and Miriam and Phoebe and Mary and Martha. So many examples of women leading. And in ministry, so when I said I'm young, he said don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. But be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way that you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And I saw more examples like Timothy, David, Samuel, Right? And when I said, God, I'm not educated enough, he said, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All scripture is inspired, 2 Timothy 2.16, right? And I saw Jesus, who, by the way, didn't go to Bible college. He spent his life drawn to the temple. He talked about it with Bible scholars. He ministered in the temple from a very young age. He could be put on the young list, too, by the way. Right? And I saw Jesus not calling the scholars, he called fishermen. <laughs> fishermen. In fact, he yelled at the scholars every chance he got, pretty sure. <laughs> He called fishermen, and I saw Peter in Acts baptizing Gentiles in the Holy Spirit and saying, if God is anointing them, who am I to say they can't be? When I said I don't speak the same language, God said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And we often forget the second part of this thought. Verse 8 says, so never be ashamed. God has never given us a spirit of fear, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Never be ashamed. Not even if you don't fit in. Not even if they might not listen. Never be ashamed. Second Timothy 1, 7 and 8. God answered every single one of my doubts with the word, and he will for you too. His answers weren't to change everything about myself. I weren't to change who I am. They weren't to tell me just to be happy, you know, being a pastor's wife or leading a women's Bible study or back in kids ministry. Not to downplay any of those roles because I literally do all of them. And those kids pastors are superheroes. Okay. I would be doing that for the rest of my life if God let me. It's the best job ever. But that's not where God, not where God let me. He didn't tell me, sit down and shut up. He didn't tell me to wait until I was older. He didn't tell me to get more education. And he certainly didn't tell me to go get more worldly experience. Right? He said, what's in your hand? Right now. For me, I had a little bit of confidence in my hand. And by a little, I mean a little. Like, grain of sand little. But I stewarded that little Steps out in faith every chance I got. Little moments, little steps. till God grew my confidence over time. I had a little bit of writing abilities. I I could write in high school. I liked to write papers and stuff. It was fun. God helped me develop them over time into speaking abilities too. You should see my notes. It's like a a script up here. I write it all out first. I I Also, I had a passion for God's word in my hand. Maybe not the education levels that others had, but I had a passion for it. God helped me develop that into knowledge of God's word. When we're faithful with a little, when we're faithful with a little, God will give us more. That is the God that he is. And in Moses' case, his little was a stick. Just a sick. <laughs> a shepherd's staff. And I can imagine that sick may have seemed super appropriate in that setting out in the desert around sheep. Nobody else looking. But imagine taking that same sick back into Pharaoh's court. How out of place he must have felt among the people that he grew up. They were making fun of him. <laughs> right? Imagine taking that Shepherds, staff, back into the presence of those Israelite elders, where it must have seemed like just a symbol of freedom to slaves. The, the gifts that God has given you often will not only draw the attention that God wants, but unwanted attention to. Are you willing to endure a little unwanted attention to accomplish his purposes? What's in your hand may seem really great in Christian culture, but you weren't only meant to use it here, inside the walls of this church, where everybody agrees with you. You might feel really silly in front of other people. God's still calling you to use it. And as we continue in this conversation, verse 3, Moses said, I have a stick in my hand, God. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. Don't miss this. He ran from it. (laughs) Am I the only one who finds this comical? Picture, Put yourself in this moment for a second. He's an 80-year-old shepherd who has been shepherding out in the desert for 40 years. He ran from a snake. No, I'm the only one who finds it funny. Maybe there was a little royalty in him after all. (laughs) I'm just saying, it was a stick one second ago. <laughs> he ran from the thing. All right? We see these little glimpses into who Moses was before God called him. He was a scared little boy in his heart still. He, he was scared of people. He, he had that people-pleasing thing in him still. And, and he, his solution to problems was to run the other way. God was calling him to more Look, sometimes we see things in the natural, but they're not meant to be seen in the natural. They're spiritual. And I wonder how many times we see problems naturally and we we look for natural solutions when it's actually a very spiritual solution. (laughs) I have seen people literally be healed of bone cancer. He was sitting up here in the front row last night through forgiveness through seeking God in a prayer closet in private in his own home. And he wouldn't mind me telling you this story because he's told it many times here. It was a spiritual problem, not a physical one. I have seen so many people reach out for Jesus and God responds back with, with freedom from addiction, right? Freedom from that unforgiveness, freedom from shame that's been causing them to go to all sorts of physical solutions. Maybe we should be looking at more problems in the spiritual, not the physical. That snake was not meant to be seen in the natural. He ran. It was a spiritual solution. I sometimes wonder if almost everything is this way. You know, with my family's challenges we went through last year with my husband's kidney failure and all that, somewhere in the middle of that crazy season, I started to say, God, Instead of, you know, the whining first part of the season, like, God, why me? and This is hard, and I don't want to do this anymore. Right? Instead of that, I started saying, God, what do you have for me to learn in this season? What what am I supposed to be seeing? Right? Let me see it already. Uh, take the scales off my eyes, whatever you got to do, because let's get through this. Right? Maybe if I learn what I'm supposed to be learning, we can be done. God did teach me a lot in that season, by the way. And this is what fasting does. I feel like I explain this a lot, but allow me to do it just one more time. This is what fasting does. It separates the physical from the spiritual. It helps me realize that I am soul first, right? This flesh, this body wants things that I shouldn't have. That doesn't mean it gets to be in control. I am in control, like fasting helps me separate this, because when I can deny the flesh something simple like food, even when it's screaming for it, right? it helps me see that I'm actually in control. So if I'm in control with food, maybe I'm also in control with sexual immorality, things that I want that I shouldn't have, or financial immorality, right? By spending my money everywhere? I, I shouldn't. I get to tell it what to do. Greed, lust, pride. Things that the flesh wants, but I get to tell it no. This is what fasting does. It it, it helps you separate. It helps you regain control. Regain control because our problems are way more often spiritual than they are physical. Then the Lord said to him, verse four, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. He's calling Moses back. Can you see that? Moses ran in the last verse. In verse 4, God says, hey, Moses. I don't know if he yelled it, but it seems like if he ran. Right? Take that thing by the, get back here and take it by the tail. I, I wonder, how many signs have I missed from God because I ran when I should have waited? When I ran, when I should have watched what God was going to do. Because I was scared instead of patient. When God calls us back, he often challenges us too, in the same breath as only genius God can. <laughs> not only come back, but also touch the snake. Pick it up, right? So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. God was patient with Moses. Patient when he doubted, patient when he questioned, and patient when he ran away. And he calls us back. Calls us back and he challenges us to more. He builds our faith with us, brick by brick. Faith is meant to be built. You can't just pretend to have more faith and have it. That's not how it works. So many of us walk out these doors of the church every single week and we say, We're j- I'm just going to have more faith this week. I'm just going to do it. You cannot will yourself just to do it. It is built brick by brick. Allow God to prove himself to you. Maybe we went through all the kidney failure stuff to build our faith. Maybe I can believe God on new levels now like I never could before. Maybe you all can do because can too, because it was very public. <laughs> you saw us walk through it. Maybe it was for you all. I'm not saying I have all the answers yet, but I believe it was a spiritual problem. God gave Moses two more signs, by the way. It wasn't just about what was in his hand. It was actually about his hand itself as well. Do you remember what the next sign was? He had to put his hand inside his cloak and pull it out and it was leprous, disgusting, diseased. Put his hand back inside his cloak, pulled it back out and it was fine. Right? And I believe God was saying this isn't just about things. I am not only the god of things, I am also the god of people. Right? And as you go back to Egypt, you're going to have to learn this lesson, Moses. Cuz you're facing a whole lot of people who aren't going to agree with you. And even the ones who are supposed to agree, often complain. A lot. Right? going to have to get this. I am the God of things, and I am the God of people. But that wasn't the only sign God gave. He gave him the stick. He gave him the hand. And then he said, Moses, the last thing that I'm going to use to prove to you and to the elders of Israel that I am who I say I am, and I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do is when you get back to Egypt, take a cup and scoop some water out of the Nile River and pour it on the ground. When you do, it will turn to blood and they will believe you. The amazing thing that I learned about this this week is that the Egyptians were one of the first cultures throughout history to control water. It was a source of power for them. They used it to control people. People relied on the king for that water source. They they conducted it. They moved it where they wanted it to go. Instead of congregating to it, they controlled water. And it was a source of power for them. So God was saying, I'm not only the God of things and the God of people. I'm the God of places. And I will go with you. And I will use the very thing that they put their confidence in, their pride in. And I'll break that too. Until they let my people Go. I am in control. God is always in control. You cannot run or hide from him. You cannot win against him. There is nothing that can separate him from his people. He is in control. And the same is true today. All he asks for is a little bit of faith. Little bit of faith. What is in your hand, no matter how small it may seem, no matter how insignificant, inconsequential, God can use it for his purposes. Can you trust him with that? Can you trust him? These conversations on holy ground change everything, change our mindsets and our perspectives. God so expertly controls the conversation No matter how many questions or doubts or fears you come at him with, he has the perfect answer. Maybe not the one you're expecting. The one you're hoping, he says. The perfect answer nonetheless. God can put all our fears to rest, can give us signs and wonders for the future, can call us and challenge us to new heights all in one conversation. Can convict us too. Places we need to change. And some of us are wondering here today, why God hasn't called us to anything? Why why hasn't he revealed any of my gifts? Why, Why hasn't he showed me why I've been put on this earth? What am I supposed to be doing right now for him? Have you asked him lately? Have you asked him with pure motivations? prideful ones ask him again ask him without fear this time allow him to birth new dreams in you and God is always doing a new thing now maybe he wants you to to start a new business that will fund the church and its mission maybe God is calling you to be that Sunday school teacher that is going to lead the next Billy Graham to the Lord Maybe God is is asking you to use your people skills to welcome that person coming through the doors for the first time. Or standing over your neighbor's fence and inviting them to church. Maybe God's asking you to use that little bit of extra cash to bless somebody unexpectedly. Maybe he's asking you to, to open up your home once a week. Invite people to talk about the sermon and help disciple them. In a home group. Maybe you'll unlock that next level of spiritual growth for someone. Maybe you'll, you'll use your musical gifts to lead others in worshiping the Lord. What is in your hand? As we see here, God doesn't often give us the fully developed gift. I don't, I can't name one. Time throughout scripture that we see a fully developed gift with, with no preparation from God. He doesn't give Moses the entire nation of Israel to lead without any effort on Moses' part. Right? He, he doesn't just uh, hand Mary, the, the son of God. She was a worshiper. Pay attention to the details in every single story and you will see these people were faithful, even just a little bit of faithful. And God hands them more. He helps them develop it. I was sitting preparing this message in my backyard this week, looking at my garden and thinking how far it's come in a month, right? It's big. And just a month, two months ago, I was planting seeds and now I'm harvesting things. And I can't explain how the magic works in that seed, right? I'm not the one who makes those seeds grow. I just do the work for it and I water it, I pull the weeds, I fertilize it. I kind of obsess over that thing, if I'm honest. I do the work, but I didn't make them grow. God does that. If I'm praying for tomatoes, God will give me a seed. And in, in doing so and giving me a seed and giving Moses a stick, he was saying, And not only am I promising to make the tomatoes come, to use this analogy, not only am I promising to be with you in, in Egypt to, to do the, those miracles, but I'm going to help you along the process. I'm going to develop you as a gardener, as a leader in the process. That seed is also a promise to be with us. And Moses was baptized in the holy spirit that day at the burning bush it says the holy spirit was with him not everybody back then had that privilege but we do today jesus came to make us right with god to make us right in his presence to allow room for the holy spirit to work in each and every one of us with us giving us all the tools that we need, developing the tools, with the things that are already in our hand into so much more. I may have a, a little bit of wisdom. The Holy Spirit has infinite wisdom. And I can tap into that when the Holy Spirit is with me. I might have a little bit of knowledge. The Holy Spirit has infinite knowledge I might have a little bit of leadership skills he has infinite the list goes on we can tap in to the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did for us if I'm praying for tomatoes God said here's a seed step out in what little faith you have and I will be with you Moses was praying for the deliverance of his people and God said what's in your hand?" God, help us use what is in our hands today. Whatever it is, God, help us wake up every single day. And instead of asking you to bless our plans for today, we're asking you what we can do for you. God, use me today. Show me how I can love someone, witness to someone, tell them what what God has done for me. Show me who needs that extra smile or or hug or groceries or whatever it is today. God, send me on a mission. Use me. God, reveal to each and every one of us what is in our hand. Our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our blessings, our skills. What can we use in your kingdom? Call us, God us back challenge us to more today some of you are are being challenged with heads bowed and eyes still closed I'm just going to ask you to take a moment and listen God speaks in these holy ground moments just listen God what are you speaking to me today what is in my hand that I can use for your glory and honor in my world we are called to be the salt and light of the world we're meant to make it flavorful and vibrant and and fun meant to make it good that is our calling be the salt and light be the love the patience the honor in our world what is God calling you to today So when he calls us back, he challenges us to more. Maybe today you're saying, I'm feeling called back today. Maybe I haven't been following Jesus ever, or, or it's been a while. I'm feeling the pull back. I'm being called back listen it's never been easier throughout human history since jesus came it's so easy to know your heavenly father to have a creator to hear his voice it just takes a simple prayer it takes saying god i believe you died you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins he took my shame my selfishness with him on that cross and it stayed there. And I accept His forgiveness in my life. I'm choosing today to live for Him. Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. It really is that easy. Pray that prayer today. Allow God to call you back. He's always calling us back. There is always a burning bush somewhere in your life calling you out of the wilderness, offering freedom, challenging you to more so you can offer that same freedom to someone else too. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you so much that it's useful to teach us, to correct us, to guide us into all truth. Thank you that you're not calling us to to something that we're not. Help us get over our own fear. Help us use these holy ground moments wisely and well. Help us actually listen, actually love the people in our world. Thank you for changing our our hearts, our attitudes, our mindsets. Thank you for calling us back to you. Father, as we go from here today, help us really think, what is in my hand? What can I do for the kingdom of God? God, convict us where we need convicted. Move us forward into what you have for us. Develop gifts and talents. Right now, I call out gifts and talents from this congregation. You would develop new dreams in us. That we would affect this world for Jesus. That we would be the church you called us to be. Vibrant, passionate, and selfless. That we would change the world with the message of the gospel we thank you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.